0: With heroes in London, New York, Jerusalem, and Bolaru. This is Shire Network News, weekending Sunday, August 28th, 2005. Hello, I'm your host, Tom Payne. You're listening to Shire Network News, the official podcast of the Anglospheric group blog, Silent Running. We take a look at the news from a blogging perspective and interview people who are making news in the blogs or who are making news of interest to bloggers. If you hear a blog mentioned on this podcast, you can go to silentrunning.tv where you will find hyperlinks to all the sites mentioned on the podcast. Coming up this week, we grasp both columns of the temple and pull it down on ourselves with an all Gaza disengagement all the time show, with writer, political activist, and former Israeli army captain Ted Lapkin telling us to relax because Sharon is the man with the plan.
1: I think that the Israeli military has the ability to bring them to to, to dispense a rapid and harsh dose of reality. And uh, look, if they get uh, too active and too uppity, the Israeli Air Force certainly will be going in with Apache helicopters and continuing to, uh, to decapitate the terrorist command and control
2: structure.
0: But Israeli blogger Dave, the man behind is really cool, isn't happy about Gaza. No, sir, not one bet.
2: It was absolutely one of the most gut-wrenching things I've ever seen, and I don't think I'm alone in saying that. I think most people here were actually incredibly moved. By the images. It's always hard to see someone uh, being dragged out of their home.
0: Add to that the latest report from London, and Lawrence Simons, full of crap report, where he rips President Bush a new one over telling Israel to do as he says, not as he does in fighting terror. And you've got one hard-assed street-fighting podcast. First up, though, long Log News.
3: news.
0: Once again, the mainstream media is caught out in a clumsy and obvious lie by a bunch of cat food-eating obsessive lounging about in front of our computers in pyjamas. The fact-checking neural network that is the blogosphere has chalked up another boo-boo by our old friends, the New York Times. This time, they fabricated a quote and attributed it to Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. The old grey lady reported the following... Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice on Wednesday offered sympathy for the Israeli settlers who are being removed from their homes in Gaza, but also made it clear that she expected Israel and the Palestinians to take further steps in short order towards the creation of a Palestinian state. Quote, Everyone empathises with what the Israelis are facing, Ms. Rice said in an interview, but she added, It cannot be Gaza only. As the famous philosopher Dom DeLuise said in the movie Blazing Saddles, Wrong! The blog Jewish Current Issues has been doing some digging. and says the transcript of the interview was posted by the State Department this week. It shows that the purported quote, made the centrepiece of the Times story, was constructed by the Times from two separate, unrelated comments by Rice, one taken out of context, the other not even accurately quoted. It's the old story, folks. The media is frantically attempting to spin reality to suit their own ideology. Believe nothing you read and only half what you see. Busted again! There's a woman out there, Marianne Sob, a student at the University of Illinois, who did some writing for her student newspaper. Turns out she's also a member of the radical Islamic front group, the Muslim Student Association. She was sprung a while back from making up quotes and attributing them to Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. Here's an example of one such quote, and for you psychology majors out there, it's as classic a case of projection as you'll ever find. That's taking your own obsessions and desires and attributing them to someone else. Quote, I don't know about something called international principles. I vow that I'll burn every Palestinian child that will be born in this area. The Palestinian woman and child is more dangerous than the man because the Palestinian child's existence infers that generations will go on, but the man causes limited danger. I vow that if I was just an Israeli civilian and I met a Palestinian, I would burn him and I would make him suffer before killing him. With one hit, I've killed 750 Palestinians in Rafah. I wanted to encourage my soldiers by raping Arabic girls, as the Palestinian woman is a slave for Jews. So, what has happened to Mariam So, the woman responsible for this? Has she been exposed as a fabulist? Well, yes. But what awful punishment has been inflicted on her in the fascist police state that is Chimpy McHalliburton's oil-driven neocon-American dictatorship? Well, she's been hired to write, present and host news by national public radio affiliate WILL. And she interns at Chicago Public Radio. You can read the entire disgusting story at the blog Solomonia. Bring a bucket. Little Green Footballs has plenty of comments about this one too. If anyone's in the vicinity of Grand Rapids, Michigan on September 14th, you might care to drop by the Gerald R. Ford Museum Auditorium. There you'll see the most uneven mismatch in the long, sad history of uneven mismatches. It's a debate on whether the United States is imperial or internationalist. The participants will be Arianna Huffington, founder of the widely mocked celebrity opinion blog Huffington Post, and classical and military historian Victor Davis Hanson. It's a battle of wits, and she's unarmed. She won't even be able to throw him off by reverting to Greek that man didn't just write books about Thermopylae and Salamis and Marathon, he was there, I'm telling you he was there the same way Shelby Foote was at Gettysburg Huffington versus Hansen. that's like Genghis Khan and the Mongol horde versus the I don't know, the Cindy Sheehan and the Marin County Unitarian Prayer for Peace Circle you know, I almost feel sorry for her In America they have Maureen Dowd, but here in Australia we have Margot Kingston Or Magrot Krigston, depending on whether she can find the spell check button. She used to run a crazed leftoid site called Web Diary, which was associated with the Sydney Morning Herald, and was regular grist for Tim Blair's mill with her comments about Jews controlling media and finance and so on. Well, it seems she's parted company with the newspaper, what took them so long, and she set up on her own with the assistance of an elite corps of raving idiots. Go and gaze upon the train wreck that is her site at margokingston.typepad.com. Here's a handy tip though. If you part company with a major newspaper to set up on your own, you're actually not allowed to take the subscriber database with you, and you're also not allowed to spam the subscribers with emails begging them to switch to your new site. Also, it's probably a bad idea to reprint in full entire articles from behind that newspaper's subscriber firewall. The good news is that after three days of operation, consisting mainly of grandiloquently self-regarding opening statements by her contributors, Margo announced that she was going to take a month off. As Tim Blair said... A month off from what? (laughs) Blogs are starting to have a big impact, not just in the Western world, where they act as a corrective for the mainstream media, but more and more in the developing world, where governments like to have a complete monopoly on information. In Egypt, for example, you would have heard Cairo based blogger Big Pharaoh right here on Shire Network News a few weeks ago talking about how he and a few other bloggers managed to organise a demonstration against terrorism in the wake of the Sharm el Sheikh bombing. So successful was he in this that the Egyptian government banned a second attempt. There's a great article about the growing influence of blogs on Egyptian politics at the Christian Science Monitor using 23 year old blogger Ala Fatah as an example of what's being done. There's a very interesting uh, paragraph in the article which reads, At a recent demonstration in Cairo's Opera Square against the 25-year rule of President Hosni Mubarak, activists distributed placards that read Freedom Now and No to Oppression. Fatah, on the other hand, passed out lists of websites to a dozen or so local bloggers who act as an unofficial media outlet for Egypt's disparate opposition. You just can't rely on the mainstream media here, he says. Oh, where have we heard that before? Blogging, podcasting, video blogging and ever-newer internet-based communications technologies which are being developed ultimately, I believe, spell doom for those who want to control what you think, whether they be a police state like Egypt or China or the self-appointed intellectual elites in American newsrooms. With individuals around the world having increasingly unfettered access to information and opinion, it becomes a lot harder for anyone in authority to control what you think. The extremely reverend Jesse Jackson has gritted his teeth and come out with a less-than-heartfelt congratulations for Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon for the Gaza withdrawal. Blogger Meryl Urish responds with a suggestion of her own as to what Jesse can do with this statement and how he should position it while he does so. Hmm, that sounds painful. See why Jessie's teeth are going to look even more gritted than normal at www.eurish.com. I think she should be John Bolton's assistant at the UN myself.
3: (laughs)
4: That's
0: it for blog news. Now let's cross to London.
3: Good afternoon,
4: this is Andrewine Dodge in London on a fairly grey day after a rather cold and wet and rainy August week. In the news today... And this week, we have a few things. First of all, Red Ken is back to his own ways and has managed to compare Hamas to the ANC, saying they're you know launching into this wonderful, heroic campaign against apartheid. His supporters don't really like it when you point out that Palestinians get a vote in Israel, they get to work, they have rights. Some in the press, including the Daily Mail and the Evening Standard and the Telegraph, are cr- heavily criticizing Ken and wondering aloud if he might not come under some of the new regulations against hate speech because, as you may have read on places like Harry's Place and my blog and a few others, people like Ken Livingston are actually hosting some of these people, al Karadawi being a classic example. Next up, we had a rather interesting BBC Panorama program, which I unfortunately missed as I was entertaining my Norwegian bandmate. As you can probably imagine, I wouldn't have gotten much of the Panorama program anyway. However, there has been fallback and fallout from the Panorama program. Uh, The MCB, who were featured on it, uh, launched a campaign uh, to discredit the Panorama program even before it was actually launched. Now, one can't blame them. After all, one of their senior people was asked the following question. There's a gentleman by the name of Sheikh Sudai who was an honored guest of the MCB. And he has the following to say. There should be no peace with the rats of the world. Again, he refers to Jews as scum of the human race, offsprings of apes and pigs, and he has referred to Christians as worshippers of the cross. Dr. Muhammad Abdul-Bari, who heads the um, organization, when asked whether this qualifies for Christians and whether they should be killed as well, he says, no, he doesn't see Christians in those terms. And then he's challenged on Hindus whether they are worshippers who should be killed, and he hums and haws as you can imagine. Of course, the fact that he wa- that gentleman um, refers to Jews as scum of the human race and offspring of apes and pigs doesn't seem to be corrected. In the end, the problem is is that they're trying to claim they're moderate, and the BBC and the Guardian, everybody refers to them as moderate. Yet when you scratch below the surface, you find out that they are not moderate in the slightest. Now, when challenged on this, they say, "Oh, we're a broad church. We're a, we're Obviously, we use the word per- church a broad tent. we are an over organization, much like care says in the u s unfortunately, it doesn 't really work either you support this or you don't and in a sense, these people are giving legitimacy to terrorist organizations mududi is it happens madudi um is one of them he's uh he 's a big m c b philosophical inspiration, and he basically believes that you know Jews should die and everything else as you want, as you could Um, imagine. He believed in an Islamic state, totalitarian theocracy whose laws cannot be challenged since they're they're divinely given in which non-Muslims are subjugated and cannot be involved in political leadership in which Muslims who wish to convert from Islam are to be executed and non-Muslims are forbidden from preaching their religious beliefs now of course one would expect that Jews don't even get that much. They get killed. So the row is still ongoing and it's interesting because these organizations are actually doing more harm than good and they are doing a fairly good job at convincing even the most um, pro-multiculturalists that basically they're not moderate. In other news, we have a few interesting things, musical and slightly more amusing. Those of us who uh, follow the metal scene are rather amused to see the Sharon Osbourne and Ozzy Osbourne versus the Iron Maiden saga from the OzFest in the U.S. Iron Maiden is is coming back uh, to London from their uh, stints on the OzFest tour. Sharon is trying to make it out that they're coming back with their tails between their legs. But any reading of, of the statements and the and anybody who was there, Iron Maiden held their head high and they were pelted with various objects and they still played a blinder of a gig. Char- Sharon has even released a statement was saying, from the real Iron Maiden. I rather think that Sharon Osbourne doesn't know what she's gotten herself into because Iron Maiden are a heck of a lot more famous than she is, especially as metal musicians. They've been at it longer, they're more intelligent than she is, and unlike Ozzy, they're not failing in health and singing ability and everything else. If Sharon Osbourne is truly going to pick a fight with um, uh, with um, Iron Maiden, I think that she's picking the wrong battle. But we shall see, and it'll be fun to watch. I'd like to mention Mitch Ben. He's got a single out, uh, Everything Sounds Like Coldplay now. And if you could visit my site, com and follow the link and purchase it, it will be great fun, because we'd like to get it in the charts which is only about 2,000 sales these days. Uh, First of all, because um, it would be great to see Mitch's song in the chart. Secondly, because it winds up Coldplay listeners who are a bunch of miserable. And thirdly, because we all know Chris Martin is such a caring and sharing individual, and it will probably annoy him. Other than that, we hope to have cry freedom for you sometime in the next couple of weeks. It was a successful sojourn in the studio. Anyway, it's goodbye from London, from Andre and Dodge. Please read me at andreandodge.com, libertycadre.net, and disgracefulmusic.com.
0: Thanks for that, Andrew. Anything that upsets Coldplay is fine with me. Well, the withdrawal of Israeli settlements in Gaza has been accomplished, not without a lot of kicking, screaming, and angst on all sides. There have been many comments on the non-Israeli right-wing blogs decrying this as a retreat under fire and predicting that absolutely no good will come of appeasing Palestinian terror. Many bloggers have said they just don't understand why Ariel Sharon would do something so apparently senseless. Well, there are two sides to this argument and this week you'll be getting both of them. First up is well-known writer and Jewish political activist Ted Lapkin, a former IDF captain who fought in Lebanon in 1982 and who now works for the Australia-Israel and Jewish Affairs Council here in Melbourne. He's been published in National Review and Front Page Magazine. I asked him the obvious question, what on earth is Sharon thinking staging a unilateral withdrawal from Gaza?
1: His thinking manifests itself on several levels. Uh, On a purely military level, getting out of gaza makes sense because you have uh, the israeli army uh, expending a lot of manpower and other resources to defend eight thousand jews living in the midst of one point uh, three million palestinians and the operational burden that places on the army is
0: incredible well by that logic why shouldn't uh, the IDF pull out of the triangle in the galilee or samaria and judea
1: well first of all uh... gaza is not part of uh, Israel proper. Uh, secondly, once again, speaking from a military perspective, in terms of a geostrategy, in terms of the military importance of terrain, uh, Gaza really doesn't have any geostrategic significance. It's a, a very small strip of land uh, uh, on the coast, there, no high ground. It's not like the West Bank that uh, is high ground, mountainous terrain that overlooks, the narrow coastal plain where 80 percent of the Israeli population lives. So, and and, and it's been fenced off uh, for the past five or six years. They are reinforcing the barrier around Gaza. The Israeli Navy will continue to uh, exercise control over uh, what goes in and goes out of uh, Gaza's ports in order to, of course, uh, try and prevent arms smuggling. And uh, the Israeli army will still have the option of going into Gaza and uh, dealing with uh, the terrorism that I have no doubt will manifest itself.
0: So Israel could conceivably start up their this hill fires for you campaign again, but this time without having to worry about Jewish settlements in the area.
1: Yes, it really makes the, uh, it really makes the task easier because the IDF will be uh, on the outside guarding the perimeter, uh, perimeter and look I have no illusions I don't think that the Palestinians are going to turn their attentions to peaceful pursuits and uh, try to build a uh, a uh, constructive uh, society uh, I have no doubt that Hamas and Islamic Jihad will continue to uh, practice their old tricks um, but uh, there is a school of thought that says that it will make it substantially easier for the IDF to deal with this, with, with the problem of terrorism emanating from Gaza from outside.
0: In one of Mark Stein's latest columns, he argues that uh, by withdrawing from Gaza and effectively giving the Palestinian Authority effective statehood in that part of, uh, uh, of the country, they're actually going to, Israel is actually going to be demonstrating to the world, and especially to the Europeans who are funding the Palestinians at the moment, just what a Palestinian state would look like, and it's going to be so ghastly that even the Europeans will sort of uh, withdraw in horror.
1: Well, uh, I don't have a lot of faith in the uh, in the Euro- in European attitudes and uh, the prospect that they would uh, recoil in horror even from a terrible scenario. But I think that there's some some merit to Mark Stein's thesis. I I have long since thought, and I uh, had an article published in Front Page Magazine to this effect last year, that what uh, and And again, this is complete supposition i don't have a i don't have a direct line into uh, Ariel Sharon's brain, but what I think he's doing is he he has no illusions about the, uh, about the Palestinians any more than I do. I think that he, his, his thesis is if Israel withdraws from Gaza and Gaza goes from bad to worse and just turns into a complete mess with warlords and rival militias and terrorist attacks uh, emanating from Gaza, you know, uh, Qasem rockets being fired into Israel, then when uh, any kind of international pressure materializes on Israel to make similar concessions in the West Bank where you do have very serious issues of geostrategy, and you do have commanding terrain that overlooks Israel's main population centers, he'll be able to point to Gaza and say, look, what do you want from my life? We pulled out of Gaza unilaterally, and look at the mess, and do you actually expect us to do the same thing? in the West Bank where it really matters so I think that he is thinking along those kinds of lines in terms of the political conflicts of the future and using the withdrawal from Gaza as, a, as, a, as leverage in order to improve Israel's position
0: well that's the Israeli side of the equation but how is this going to be perceived by the Palestinians aren't they going to take the lesson from this that terrorism works, that it gets rewarded and they'll simply demand more, it just feeds the beast
1: well, um, uh, I'm sure that there are, I mean, it's not a question of being sure and prognosticating. Already you have Hamas and, and, and uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad claiming this is a great victory and and the only reason why the Israelis are withdrawing is because of the, the Shahidim, the, the, the martyrs and the terrorism. Uh, it's obvious that they're going to spin it that way. And it's obvious that they are going to use a somewhat less, lesser level of immediate Israeli scrutiny in order to try and regroup and rebuild because they have been decimated and, 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 and their ranks have been savaged by Israeli counter-strikes what you, what you call the uh, This, this Hellfire Missile For You campaign I think that's inevitable but uh, I think that the Israeli military has the ability to uh, bring them back to, to, to dispense a rapid and harsh dose of reality And uh, look, if they get uh, too active and too uppity, the Israeli Air Force certainly will be going in with Apache helicopters and continuing to to decapitate the terrorist command and control structure. And there is no hard and fast rule that would prevent the Israeli army from going in on the ground for a couple of days on a raid in order to clear out a particularly problematic pocket in Gaza.
0: Sharon's sure been doing that since 1956, hasn't
1: he? He has indeed, and uh, you know the fact that uh, Israel is withdrawing from Gaza—it's a unilateral withdrawal. It's not the result of any kind of agreement with the Palestinians. And uh, like any other sovereign country, Israel has the right to defend its citizens. And if there is continued terrorism from Gaza, then I have full confidence as a former Israeli army officer, that the IDF will have the ability to deal with it uh, decisively
0: and swiftly. That was Ted Lapkin, who now works for the Australia-Israel and Jewish Affairs Council in Melbourne. And we'll hear the other side of the equation a little bit later on. Right now, though, on a somewhat related matter is Lawrence Simon's full-of-crap report, and you might be surprised who this week's target is.
5: Hello, this is Lawrence Simon, and here's the full-of-crap report. Some of you folks aren't going to like this. You know what? Tough. President Bush addressed members and families of the Idaho National Guard on Wednesday at the Idaho Center in Nampa, Idaho. Bear with me, bear with me. Here's three paragraphs worth of quotes. We saw the terrible harm the terrorists did when they took effective control of this failed state of Afghanistan. After all, it was there that they trained and plotted and planned the attack that killed thousands of our citizens. We will not allow the terrorists to establish new places of refuge in failed states from which they can recruit and train and plan new attacks on our citizens. On September 11, 2001, we saw the future that the terrorists intend for our country and the lengths they're willing to go to achieve their aims. We faced a clear choice. We could hunker down, retreating behind a false sense of security, or we could bring the war to the terrorists, striking them before they could kill more of our people. Let me interrupt for a second. Last night, the IDF went to arrest some Islamic Jihad and Hamas members. Well, it turned into a firefight, and five Jihadis wound up dead. The United States isn't applauding Israel's efforts to try to round those killers up, folks. They're not condemning it either. They're urging calm. Hmm. I'm looking through Bush's speech here. I don't see a call for calm in it. For Iraq or Afghanistan... No, it's bring the war to the terrorists. That's what he said, striking them before they could kill more of our people. Okay, let's read one more paragraph. Here we go. I made a decision. America will not wait to be attacked again. Our doctrine is clear. We will confront emerging threats before they fully materialize. And if you harbor a terrorist, you're just as guilty as the terrorist. Okay, now a quote from an entirely different president. Hamas is a legitimate party for Palestinian legislative elections set for January, and its participation is part of the democratic process. Palestinian Mahmoud Abbas was quoted as telling a French newspaper, Groups such as Hamas will grow less radical if they are integrated into politics, Abbas said, according to an interview published on Liberation Newspaper's website Thursday. Huh, that's odd. I don't see Bush promoting that kind of philosophy towards the Taliban, Motada al-Sadr's killers, and the portion of native Iraqis among the Sunni insurgency. Let's continue. Hamas will take part in elections, and if it wins, why not? He was quoted as saying. We believe in the principles of democracy, so if we want to build a democracy, we must accept the consequences of democracy. You know, remember that line in The Princess Bride where the kidnapper kept saying, inconceivable? Inconceivable! And the other kidnapper said... I do not think that means, and what do you think it means? Same with Abbas and democracy. I don't think that word means what he thinks it means. I'll also be posting some photos of Mahmoud Abbas right before the disengagement when he met with Hamas and Islamic Jihad. According to the United States State Department Foreign Terrorist Organizations list, Hamas is a terrorist organization. Regardless of whether an individual claims to be a part of the military or political branches, they are one and the same. So, George, what was that about establishing refuge in failed states, uh, plotting and planning attacks, recruiting and training terrorists, and being as guilty as the terrorist when you harbor that terrorist? Oh, right. It doesn't apply to those who want to kill Jews. George Bush, you're not just full of crap. You're an asshole.
0: Thanks, Lawrence. There, never let it be said that Shire Network News, the official podcast of silentrunning.tv, doesn't criticize the U.S. administration. Does this mean we lose our membership in blocks for Bush? Hmm, I'll have to look into that. Now, let's have a look at the other side of the argument about Israel's unilateral withdrawal from Gaza. Israeli society seemed to be split by the move, with those who supported it adopting the national blue and white colours, while those who favoured remaining in Gaza wore orange. One of those who believes what happened in Gaza won't help Israel is Israeli blogger Dave, originally from Australia. He runs the Israeli Cool blog, and he has his own podcast, which, of course, you should immediately subscribe to. He says, supported or not, there's no doubt the effect of the withdrawal was pretty traumatic for the whole country.
2: It was absolutely one of the most gut-wrenching things I've ever seen, and I don't think I'm alone in saying that. I think most people here were actually incredibly moved by the images. It's always hard to see someone uh, being dragged out of their home. It's, it especially makes it harder uh, in cases such as my own where you don't know the exact reason for it. It doesn't seem justified. But even on the part of those who do believe or did believe in the disengagement, I think these images were very hard to swallow.
0: Were the settlers perhaps deliberately making those images appear on TV in order to make people feel gut-wrenching? They, they, they use the national symbols of, of, of settlement to sort of you know, tug at the heartstrings to a certain extent.
2: I think that in some cases there was this going on, for sure. There were some orchestrated scenes in some cases. In other cases, I think the cameras are rolling and just um, showing what was going on. But even in the cases where it might have been a bit contrived, I think that this is a totally legitimate tool at their disposal. As long as it doesn't involve violence, this is fine from my perspective.
0: About the violence, um, how bad was it? We? There were some reports that at one stage uh, acid or, or some sort of corrosive material was thrown on soldiers.
2: Yeah, there were some instances. I think in the end they said it was caustic soda, and that's not to belittle or underestimate uh, the danger of that. It still was incredibly wrong, incredibly stupid, and the, the culprit should uh, be put in jail and punished severely. But I think the important thing to realise here is that this was definitely a minority of people. They were mostly youth, I believe, and mostly people that didn't even live in these areas. So when you say the settlers, as referring to the people living in these areas, so in some cases they were from all over the place, and this was part of their, well, political uh, cause, but they were also, it must be noted, that they were like misguided youth.
0: What about the argument that there were only eight or nine or 10,000 Jews living in the sea of 1.3 million Arabs, and it was impossible for the IDF to guard them and that what this pull-out means is that Israel is simply straightening its lines.
2: Yeah, there are many people who subscribe to the view that this demographically, it just wasn't going to work. But the counter-argument is that by having these people here, you're forced to have a military presence and there are many compelling security arguments for staying in these areas. Which are? Um, Well, actually, I should note that a majority of the security experts actually do raise uh, grave security concerns regarding the disengagement. The difference in their views uh, stems from other considerations. The ones who actually support the disengagement, like the Defence Minister Shaul Mufaz, he still raises some grave security issues, but he weighs on a cost-benefit analysis uh, basis uh, the diplomatic, political and demographic benefits. So the the main arguments, I think, to sum up, um, are one that uh, basically this will embolden the terrorist groups, it will give them a psychological boost and encourage them to to actually increase the terrorist activities. The former chief of staff, uh, Ya'alon, who was a main critic and actually lost his job probably be- because of it, uh, main critic of the disengagement, he said the only way to prevent the missile attacks is actually to maintain an IDF presence in the Gaza Strip. There are some other uh, arguments, including it's very hard to gather uh, local intelligence by abandoning these areas. And of course, intelligence is a, is a very important tactic for the IDF in terms of uh, stopping terror. The Gaza Strip fence will be far less defensible without having the IDF in, uh, in the one kilometre buffer zone inside the electronic fence.
0: Do you think there will be more terrorism from the Gaza Strip now there are no Israeli settlements there?
2: In my personal view, yes. I think there absolutely will be more terrorism. How also, well. another, a, a major issue uh, that some people might not uh, have thought about is the fact that now we're probably going to uh, give up the Philadelphia route which is on the border between Gaza and Egypt. And the Egyptians have in the past shown that they're not so capable or willing to stop the smuggling of weapons into the Gaza Strip. And we know from intelligence that the Palestinians are very close to getting some missiles which have more uh, capabilities in terms of reaching major population centres. Now, if the Egyptians aren't going to stop it, if one of the, the by-products of this withdrawal is to allow the Egyptians to control the border, I think this represents a very dangerous situation. Um, and especially because Mubarak isn't going to live forever forever, and we don't know who
0: his replacement will be. Getting away from the short-term security and um, terrorism considerations for a minute, what about the long-term view? What does the evacuation from Gaza say about the direction of Israeli society, uh, where Israel's going as a country? Because the settlers have always said that they pretty much embodied the spirit of the nation going forward, settling the land, that kind of thing. Does this mean that Israel is starting to retreat a bit from this idea of the, the united land of Israel?
2: I think what this, this engagement is showing more than anything is how Israeli society is being split down the middle and you do have two ideological camps, I mean generally speaking. One, uh, as you said, the people that believe that now you know the, the great Israel concept is, is long gone and dead and they don't believe in it and they think that we have to do everything for peace. And then you have the people mostly of a religious persuasion, but not entirely so, who believe in the greater Israel concept, greater Israel being, of course, the, the, the disputed territories. So I'm not talking about, you know, neighbouring lands like Jordan or anything like that, although a minority of really, really extreme people might believe that. So I think that it's, it's showing um, a, a large split down the middle of Israeli society, and I think it's, it's, it's a worrying sign, for
0: sure. It was explained to me once that there were three national goals in Israel. Uh, and that was a united land of Israel, um, a democratic Israel, and a Jewish Israel. The trouble is, you can't have all three at the same time. You can really only have two. And the arguments between those who want a Jewish, a Jewish Israel in the united land, and they would be the religious nationalist ones, and the ones who want a, a Jewish and democratic state, which means a state in less than the whole land,
2: Well, there's even a problem with having an entirely Jewish state and being a pure democracy. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I agree with what you just said. You can't have all three. It's hard enough having two.
0: It makes it difficult if you have a a Jewish Israel in the entire land. That necessarily means ruling over Palestinians, doesn't it?
2: Well, yeah, yeah, they're a reality. They're here, and you have to find a way to deal with the situation in a democratic way, I believe.
0: I could ask you what the solution is, but I don't think anyone's got the solution. If they did, they'd make a million dollars. I'm working on (laughs) it. And that was Dave from Is Really Cool. He also runs his own podcast, which I do recommend to you. As always, if you go to silentrunning.tv, you will find all the blogs mentioned on this podcast hyperlinked. Now, there are some changes in the Wind for Shire Network news, nothing too drastic, but there is the possibility of some rebranding, maybe a name change and some changes to the technical setup and some talks going on behind the scenes about how right-leaning podcasters might be able to assist each other. It turns out it's actually not that easy to turn out something each week that people might want to listen to. And even if you do, a lot of people don't even know about it. Right now, this podcast has more than 460 regular subscribers, and it's downloaded 1,400 plus times each week. Now, I don't even know if that's successful by podcasting standards. I don't know. Maybe it's an abject failure. Maybe that's nothing. Maybe it's a huge success. I, I have no way of knowing. It, it's certainly uh, a lot fewer people listening to this podcast than read Silent Running. But I don't, maybe that's the nature of the beast. It's a lot easier to, to read a blog than it is to download and listen to a podcast. You know, that takes time. I must say, I was surprised to learn that the listenership of the IMAO podcast, which uh, was very low for what I consider to be one of the best quality shows on the net today, uh, they were saying they were having similar sort of problems to what I have. uh, Quite a major investment in time and money and in my case, overseas phone calls, for not that much return in the number of listeners. Well, um, if anyone's got any suggestions, um, I'm really open to them. Uh, Write them on the back of a $100 bill. (laughs) No, just send me an email uh, at pacificjournalist at gmail.com. Anything you want to see in the show, anything that would make uh, you listen to the show, uh, things that you'd like to see that uh, we're not doing at the moment, uh, things that hopefully wouldn't cost too much money, I'm very open to your suggestions. So write to me, Tom Payne at pacificjournalist.com at com. well that's it my wine is over until next week may your god go with you